Coming up on today's WAC podcast, we'll talk with Chase Conk, the AD and Vice President at UTRGV, as the Rio Grande Valley recovers from Hurricane Hannah. We'll also have Stephanie Vedroya on the show. Stephanie is a two-time WAC Player of the Year, former professional women's soccer player, and currently a law student. Very interesting conversation with Stephanie. That's all ahead on the WAC podcast. Dallas swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track wall. Goodbye. Today's episode of the WAC podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now here's your host, Eric Danner. Welcome to the WAC podcast. Eric Danner along with Rachel V. Hill giving you all the latest news from around the Western Athletic Conference as well as uh, a little chit chat here and there. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great, Rachel. Uh, first off, we did take a little time off from the podcast here. And last time we talked to you, I think you were still in Orlando. I, I can't, you know, all the days are running together now. So you're in Orlando for the MLS's back tournament. And now you're back in Colorado. Back in Colorado. Yep. And I believe, yeah, I've been back about a week and a half now. So we were definitely still in Orlando uh, preparing for the last match down there. But it was a crazy trip. You know, I was so fortunate enough to get to go down there and be a part of such like a historic tournament and like play such a small part in it. But the, I mean, the experience, like the things we got to do was, were so cool. Even just like hanging out in a hotel room and getting to like <laughs> interact with all of these clubs and kind of see how this all unfolded. Now I can't think hanging out in your hotel room was that cool, Rachel. I mean, it was definitely wasn't bad. If the Wi-Fi was working, it was really good. But I'm, honestly, looking back now, I had planned to spend so much more time in my hotel room, and I really don't think I did. Just because when players were in their hotel rooms, you know, I was running around doing work and still doing stories and live shots for Altitude TV, where, like, they were all in their hotel rooms. And then, of course, like, you go to meals, and then you go to training with the team. So I definitely spent, like, way more time, I would say, outside of my hotel room. Granted, I was like all by myself doing it, but like more than the players. I know a lot of the players like complained about like how much time they spent playing video games and such. But for me, I didn't spend that much time. So my hotel, my hotel room was nice when I was in there because I could just like relax and take a breather and just watch some soccer, you know, put on ESPN and just be able to chill out for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's nice, uh, especially this past week. Uh, Rachel is sports are back. I mean, we saw the NBA games. I, I sat there and watched NBA games all day on Saturday. We have Major League Baseball is back. The NHL is back. Major League Soccer's been back for a while. WNBA, golf, tennis, NASCAR. We've seen NFL camp start to open. So maybe, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. Maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And for the teams that have done, or the sports that have done bubbles, they proved that bubbles have worked. And again, I think we've talked about this too, Eric, is out of all the tests they're doing, it's like less than 1% are coming back positive throughout right. all of sports. And that is pretty dang incredible. Like, when you actually think about the number of tests that are administered, like that's a really, really good number. And I'm so happy sports are back. I love being able to just put on anything and have like, even if it's the fake fan cheering in the background, it just makes me happy still. Well, I tell you, I was really impressed with what the NBA has put together in terms of their TV broadcasts. 
with uh, the the court, obviously, with no fans. You don't see that. You see that some of the virtual fans in the background, and they've started to have some fun with it. Uh, you see they put some virtual things on the court. What's interesting to me, Rachel, and, and maybe this will carry over when we're back. I mean, knock on wood, and and, and there's some sort of a vaccine, and, and we get back to normal somewhat, is – the clearance of the baselines. There's no camera people. There's no anything on the baselines. It seems like the players I've noticed seem to be driving to the to the to the hoop. I was going to say to the hole. That that's a old '70s term I used to use. Uh, but they seem to be going at, at at the hoop maybe harder. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen basketball in a while. But with nobody on the baseline there, I think. You know, even in your mind, if you're going up for a dunk or whatever, there's still that back of your mind out. You might land on somebody, but nobody on the baseline. Camera angles are a little different as well, uh, which I haven't really uh, uh, missed the the baseline camera angle. I mean, they, they kind of have it off to the side a little bit. So maybe some innovations will come out of this that will carry over to when we get back to normal. One thing I've noticed watching the NBA, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Eric, but it feels like you're watching a video game almost, you know, with like all the virtual fans and even like the skin of all the players. I'm like, this looks like I'm watching like <laughs> 2k every single time. It like blows me away. I'm like, wow, like it looks so flawless and like all the virtual fans and like the noise and everything. And I, I just always think I'm like, okay, I'm watching 2k right now, but it's actually real basketball. It is back, you know, WNBA back too. It, it's, I'm, it, I'm so happy. I can't even explain to you how happy I am. Just to have sports. <laughs> well, and the lighting is different at the arena there in Orlando, because, you know, most NBA arenas are so, you know, for 17, 18,000 people, whereas those arenas are for much fewer people. So the lighting is actually much closer to the court. So I think that's why it kind of looks a little different, maybe a little more crisp. And that the cameras are able to get that much closer, you know, when, when you have the high up cameras and those kind of things are a little further away. And now they're closer. And I guess the broadcasters as well, they're not on the baseline either. They have them kind of at a uh, vantage point where they can look down. So it's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of the stuff they've done. And uh, I, I'm really excited about it. And did you notice the uh, uh, as, as you being a, a, a sideline reporter? The uh, sideline reporters uh, look what they're having to do is a little different where they have the the boom mic and they have to wear a mask and all that good stuff. Yep. They stand six feet apart and there's a boom mic for the athlete and you still have on your mask and you hold like an actual mic to ask questions. The only time I feel like and obviously this would be only if fans come back, but like if fans ever do have the opportunity to come back or when they do will be if they still have to keep that social distancing like can the players hear you you would have to like scream for them to hear you right like sometimes they can't even hear you when you're standing next to them so that always goes through my head i know they don't have that problem here in the bubble now but that's what goes through my head every single time i see it yeah and i think they've done a good job also with the the music and some of the kind of background noise you know where it does feel like when you're watching it it is that 2k feel because it's not real but at least there's kind of some ambiance there and then you really notice the players uh, as they cheer when somebody on their team does something and and maybe they're pumping it up a little maybe because it's an empty gym maybe you can hear them better but but you definitely hear the players uh, cheering when there's a basket made you hear them cheering you hear coaches giving some words to players occasionally we have heard it all <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're hoping uh as we said uh, th- things will be back to normal before too long now the NCAA 
has a yeah, big meeting. Uh, their Board of Governors meet on Tuesday. So by the time we air this on Tuesday, unknown if any decisions will be made out of that. But there's been some recent NCAA decisions, Rachel, that have come out uh, that could impact uh, some whack things. Uh, one, uh, one is that they're going to allow commemorative and memorial uh, and social justice uh, patches on uniforms, which is something uh, new this year. And, and as we saw in the NBA, that there's there's a lot of Black Lives Matter uh, signage and those kind of things. Uh, so we might, uh, I, I don't know what the rules will be on that, but uh, we could see some more uh, social justice type things uh, in, in the upcoming year. I think all the sports have done a really, really good job of like it's respecting everybody's opinions on this and really like allowing people to have a voice. And I think with, especially the NBA, I think if they hadn't allowed something like this, we wouldn't have seen as many players as we did. So for the NCAA to follow suit with that is really, really good. I know so many student athletes have a voice too, and they just want to be heard and they want to talk about these hard social justice uh, issues. So I think it's really cool. One thing that I find though is really interesting is uh, for some of the certain patches, the team has to agree on one of them. They can have like the last name be different, but as for an actual patch that goes on like a sleeve, it has to like all match for the entire um, like team or squad. So I think that's really interesting, Uh, you know, get some talk going about what they really want to discuss and show support for. And another thing the NCAA came out with is that uh, each sport has to play 50% of the required contests other than football right now. So we've seen a lot of uh, conferences come out already cancel fall sports. We've seen some uh, as like the WAC uh, right now delay fall sports. And part of that is to participate in the championships. Usually you have to pay, play X amount of games to qualify uh, before you can get that automatic bid or, or be selected for the tournament. That's now down to 50%. So that's pretty significant because uh, the number of games that you would have to play if they still do have championships is uh, reduced quite a bit. Absolutely. Eric, I want to get your opinion on this too. Which just like I, so many conferences have been like, Oh, we're only going to play like ACC or SEC games. Does it really make sense to you? And again, we might be getting into like a little bit of a sticky topic, but we're lucky enough to be able to talk about these things is for, I'm obviously went to CSU and they have canceled the CSU CU football game. So the Rocky Mountain showdown has been canceled, but does it really make sense for a team to be able to fly to, you know, Boise instead of just like driving down the highway? Well, the, the thing, I, I think the idea behind that, Rachel, is that each conference is kind of has their own different medical procedures. And so, okay. so the PAC 12 may have different procedures than the Mountain West and the WAC does. And that's part of why, we're kind of looking at a lot of uh, right now conference competition because everybody would be playing by the same rules. You don't know what every other gotcha. conference is. You know, bigger conference, Pac-12 uh, conferences that quote unquote have more money are obviously going to have more uh, things available to them. But uh, when you're talking about maybe playing against a Division Two or an NAIA school, maybe they won't have the ability to do as much testing. Just you know, saying in general uh, as mm-hmm. as why that would be, um, and also. Back east, the schools are a lot closer together. So I think out west here, it's it's a little different. So, yeah, you mentioned... We just make things different. It, it doesn't make sense that, you know, uh, two programs that are only uh, 100 miles apart or can't play each other, but you can go all the way, you know, a 1,000 miles away to play someone else. But that that's kind of the world we're living in right now. And I, I know with, with the WAC currently, again, we're, we're doing this on Monday, August 3rd, and things could change in, in the next day or two. But... Um, 
we wanted to allow our schools to be able to play some of those teams that are closer. I mean, obviously, like UTEP, New Mexico State, are only uh, 45 minutes apart. Wanted to still have those opportunities if we're still having fall sports. So I think there's there's a lot going into it, Rachel. And uh, uh, as we've been saying, we've beaten this drum. Hopefully, we'll have sports sooner rather than later. But uh, it's just such a strange time. And I think when this happened back in March that we would be sitting here in August and and not knowing if we're going to have fall sports, we would have never believed it. Never in a million years would. I feel like I jinxed it, Eric. I'm not going to lie. I always said like one of the reasons I went out of sports besides loving it is that I was like, sports will never disappear. We'll always have sports. And then of course sports disappear. And I just feel like I jinxed it for everybody. So I'd like to apologize. (laughs) (laughs) I I think a little bit more than you jinx. Rachel. Um, we mentioned Major League Baseball is back. Daniel Johnson, the uh, former WAC Player of the Year from New Mexico State, made his debut in the Major Leagues for the Cleveland Indians. So congratulations to DJ. And uh, that's, uh, I guess, another maybe positive coming out of this pandemic is he was kind of on the borderline, you know, between AAA and Major League. And and with, uh, you know, maybe some more opportunity here, Daniel Johnson gets his first shot in the uh, majors. Lots of opportunities, I feel like, are really coming out of this whole COVID process. I mean, even let's talk about New Mexico State, uh, Nick Gonzalez. There's been so much talk about him probably making it, which is incredible. You would never expect the first round draft pick. You know, usually they have to go through the farm system to really work their way up. But I saw, I've seen like a lot of news articles and a lot of tweets about him sometime this season if it does continue being able to make a start, which is great. We also want to pass along our condolences to the friends and family of Lou Henson, the legendary New Mexico State coach, passed away last week at the age of 88. Uh, Lou Henson, winningest coach in New Mexico State history, got him to the Final Four back in 1970, then went on to Illinois, went to another Final Four in 1989. He came back to New Mexico State in 1997 until 2005 and was a a fixture in Las Cruces for a long time, was a coach at Las Cruces High School to start his coaching career back in the 50s. And I know uh, Coach uh, Chris Jans, uh, th- there's a lot of reverence towards Lou Henson and uh, uh, certainly sad to see him pass away. So sad. And the Las Cruces Sun News put out a really great article and you just read it and you automatically think like what an incredible person. Like as a head coach of a basketball team, he was picking up trash after the game because he knew that like the people who work there, that wasn't their job to go ahead and just pick up all the trash that their fans caused. And I think that just shows the character of coach. And, you know, you just hear about all of the great things and how he had a, what he had to go get his wife at what are one day and he sent um, an employee and, or the employee was like, coach, like, what does your wife look like? I've never met her. And his words were like trying to describe her. And he was like, she's just beautiful. Like those things are so touching and just like really speak on the character off yep. the court. You just love to hear it. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll, we're trying to get to Russ Bradbird on our show next week. Uh, Rachel, I had him on a uh, month or two ago and Russ was an assistant for Lou Henson at New Mexico state. And he, he's a great friend of his. So he's, and he's also written uh, several books. So he, he would be a great perspective on the, uh, the life and legacy of Lou Henson. Uh, SAC meeting this past week, uh, the student athlete advisory council, they met uh, via zoom and we have a new uh, president also from New Mexico state. Her name's Kat Harston. And you're going to have her on whack all access this week. 
chat on Waco Access about the SAC meeting. You know, one of the big things is social justice issues and uh, mental health is always a huge topic. So we're going to sit down and kind of dig a little bit deeper and just chat with her about those things and what the WAC-SAC body is really looking to do um, for this upcoming year. Yeah, and we'll look forward to that. And also, uh, Chicago State hired a couple of uh, new coaches since we were last on the air, starting with the track and field. Paul Zavella is the new uh, director of track and field and cross country for the Cougars. And uh, again, we're, we're hoping uh, that he'll be uh, coaching uh, rather quickly here. They have been busy these last couple of months. They are bringing in coaches left and right. Love to see it. I can't wait to see all of the success that both of the new coaches have um, once sports get started up again. And he comes uh, after two years at Benedictine University where he led the Eagles men's and women's cross-country teams and was an assistant coach for their track and field teams. Uh, Also a brand new program at Chicago State starting up in men's soccer. Trevor Banks uh, picked to lead the team, uh, which is actually going to try to start games this fall. Oh, man. I can't even imagine trying to put together a schedule uh, now with everything going on. But I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for Chicago State to have men's soccer. I think the you know, Chicago area is pretty big on soccer, too. So it'll be really nice to see just all that they can bring in and, you know, put together a good squad. I'm really, really excited for them. And Coach Banks comes to CSU from Brown University, where he was associate head coach and assistant coach. So, yeah, a, a tall task for him. But I, I know uh, – Chicago State, they're very excited to have uh, men's soccer as a new sport there. So uh, that uh, could be underway this fall. And also uh, checking the uh, WAC Newswire here, Jake Channon, former uh, Grand Canyon golfer and former WAC golf champion, winning the Arizona Open. So congratulations to Jake. I love the trophy that he's holding up. If you have an opportunity (laughs) to see it, I absolutely love it. But yeah, congratulations to him. And uh, golf is one of those sports that uh, seems to be back. I think the one of the majors is either coming up uh, this week or next week that they're going to try to get underway. I, obviously, I think still no fans, but uh, they are they're up in uh, full force. So hopefully, uh, again, <laughs> we keep beating the drum. Sports will be back soon. And speaking of being back, when we come back, we're going to have Chase Conk, the UTRGV Vice President and Director of Athletics. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner and Rachel V. Hill with you. And this podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires. We're now joined by Chase Conk, the Director of Athletics and Vice President at UTRGV. Uh, Chase, how are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. You guys doing all right? We are. I, I am. Are you doing okay, Rach? I'm doing good. I can't <laughs> complain. It's a beautiful day out here in Denver. I don't know how the weather is down in the valley, Chase. Well, it's a uh, it's a beautiful day, but I, I suspect uh, a tad bit warmer than maybe uh, at our league. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a beautiful day. I tell you, it's uh, you know it's certainly warm, but uh, I think the the actual count of days that we've hit a hundred this year are probably less than less than five. So uh, wow. I would say it's a relatively mild summer and, and definitely enjoying it. Well, I don't think we've hit 100 yet in Denver. Actually, today I'm in Denver at the WAC office, and Rachel is, we're doing some social distancing here, uh, Chase. But uh, obviously in, in the news recently was, was Hurricane Hannah 
that uh, hit the uh, southern part of Texas there, and I did see it did uh, hit uh, the folks in Edinburgh there. So how are how is the recovery efforts, or how are the recovery efforts from Hurricane Hannah right now? Yeah, you know it's really it's really remarkable uh, as you as we sit here today and a week ago uh, what we were faced with uh, you know post uh, post storm uh, that hit us uh, you know, really pretty head on on Saturday Saturday night and uh, for the most part uh, you know Sunday uh, but but really remarkable you know we we talk about our communities and and certainly as a as an athletic director administrator a coach you're you're very proud of the community in which you you work in you live in and you serve. But uh, the resiliency of the the valley is really, uh, you know, been put to the test. You know, the last uh, last couple of weeks, we uh, we did have some significant water. Uh, we we had somewhere between 12 and 15 inches of rain, depending on uh, where, where you live in the Rio Grande Valley. But our uh, yeah, our baseball stadium is probably the the one facility that garnered the most attention, and uh, we we are completely dry uh, out there now, which is uh, remarkable. The the water that uh, that facility took on was um, it was really tremendous. But to see the work of uh, of our campus community and, and staff, uh, we're we're on the mend and um, and really in good shape. It, it's it, it was really it was my first hurricane to go through here in the valley and uh, to to see the you know the water and to, to see some of the damage. But then to look here a week later to see how quickly uh, we've recovered as a community. It's going to take more time, obviously, but uh, very impressive to see where we sit here today. I've never been a part of an ex- or a hurricane either. So, what is that experience like when it's actually happening? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm from South Louisiana uh, originally, and, and most of my family lives in uh, in the southern parts of that state. And so, uh, hurricanes are, are something that have been part of our life. And, and whether it's me directly experiencing one or, or certainly impacting our family and friends, uh, it's uh. And we were fortunate. It was a Category 1, and uh, certainly the sustained winds. I, I think we ended up hitting 100, 110 miles an hour uh, during that storm, but uh, lost power for a couple of days. And, uh, you know, you just you lean on one another, and, um, you know, a lot of people are willing to, to pitch in and help. But we were really fortunate, and I can say that uh, our staff, our coaches, uh, the student-athletes that we had uh, here in the Valley, um, working with campus, campus housing, uh, really fortunate to come out in, in such good good shape. But uh, I'll tell you a funny story. We, we we lost power and we have a pool here at our home. And, and once you lose power, you lose the ability to drain your pool. And so uh, there there were uh, there were a couple of three times in the middle of the storm. And this is a this is a memory I guess I'll cherish now for for a lifetime. But you're out there with buckets. Uh, draining your pool so it doesn't uh, doesn't overflow and I can tell you when that rain hits you at 80 90 miles an hour it, it doesn't feel very good but we were able to manage and uh, it didn't experience any flooding here at the house but um, our girls were uh, obviously alarmed and they knew what was going on but but handled it well and, and again here we sit here a week later and uh, really on the mend. Well, certainly glad to hear that things are recovering there in the Valley. We're talking with Chase Conk, the Vice President and Director of Athletics at UTRGV. Chase, uh, we had Lou Hill on the podcast uh, back in June, and and part of our discussion was you and Dr. Guy Bailey and Coach Hill are are opening up a dialogue on race relations, uh, specifically on campus there at UTRGV. Where does that stand right now? Yeah, and you know what? What a credit to uh, you know, to Coach Hill and President Bailey. Um, you know, our, our our big our big message, and and really what we're about, and and as we as we face this together, you know, we're we're truly united in this in this fight is to continue the conversation, uh, not wait for the next crisis uh, to have the conversation, 
uh, not wait until it's the, um, you know, kind of the flavor of the month. And, and, and this is something that we're committed to. And, and Coach Hill has been a, uh, a great leader uh, for us in, in helping promote that conversation. Uh, we had a, a healing circle. Well, we've done a lot of uh, partnering with campus. You know, this isn't just a student athlete or an athletics department uh, issue. This, this is really a, a campus community, uh, really a, a place and, and a time that we can heal and we can have candid, open dialogue and uh, sometimes uh, not easy dialogue. And so we've worked really closely with our dean of students with our Student Government Association. Uh, we hosted a healing circle virtually uh, about, uh, it's probably been a month now, and uh, had you know, 55, 60 folks from our campus community, student athletes, coaches, administrators, uh, and really a, a great two-hour discussion where, where folks could be in a safe space and, and really start that dialogue. We knew we wanted to do something this summer. We didn't want to wait uh, until the fall semester. We know that programming and uh, keeping that conversation going is going to be important when we get back uh, on campus here in the next few weeks. But uh, but really, we've been able to do some things, I think, in short order uh, to really promote that, uh, that dialogue. Uh, President Bailey, uh, about two weeks ago, hosted a, a virtual roundtable with some of our student athletes, uh, with members of the Black Student Union on campus. Uh, and and um, I did not join that. That was just the president and our students. And uh, I think that went uh, really, really well. And so what, what we're hoping to do is provide those platforms, uh, have open dialogue with our, our SAC leaders. Uh, both Rachel, uh, you and Jabal Gaines have been uh, wonderful to work with. Uh, again, SGA, it, it's really a collaboration. And, and for us to be effective, uh, for us to be able to uh, be part of the change uh, for us to not just talk the talk, but truly walk the walk. Uh, it's going to take our community coming together. Uh, you know, we talk about it a lot, uh, whether it's with our student athletes or our coaches and staff. You know, as you look at the world and you look at our country and you look at the the issues that we're dealing with, the things that have plagued our society for for decades. Um, you know, it, it, it's a daunting task when you, when you look at it. And how are we going to make a difference? Uh, but what we talk about is is immediately. Uh, you know, coming to the local level, you know, let, let's talk about our student athletes. Let's talk about the 375 coaches, staff, student athletes that we have within our department. Let's talk about our campus community, uh, our campus community leaders. And, and so when you look at it through that lens and, and you just you just got to take that first step. And, and again, the conversations, um, you know, they're not easy. They're, they're sometimes very emotional. Uh, they're uncomfortable at times. Uh, but uh, I've been really proud with the, the forums and the venues that, that we've been able to promote uh, the last uh, several weeks, uh, that those conversations have been very healthy. And so we look forward to continuing that uh, as we get into the fall semester. Our life skills uh, programming uh, will, will very much uh, lend itself to, to continue the conversation. And, uh, and when we'll do a lot more things with our student athletes and, and have them uh, use their platform. You know, that's what we talk about. We, we've got such a strong platform. Uh, with intercollegiate athletics being the Valley's only Division One team, uh, we really have a chance uh, to make a difference here, uh, not just for for ourselves and for the society today, uh, but really the future of the Rio Grande Valley and and hopefully the ripple effect into uh, the rest of the country. Our, our young people can be great champions uh, for this cause. There was a video also about Black Lives Matter that featured a bunch of UTRGV student athletes that went out last month. So how do you feel like that video has been received? Yeah, I would say I would say very well. And, you know, as you would have the opportunity to talk to uh, Rachel, you and uh, our other SAC leaders, 
uh, this was something that we talked about, um, gosh, it's probably been six weeks ago, and, and there was a, a passion and a, and a want for our student-athletes to, to use their voice, and so we worked together with them to uh, create a, uh, a piece that I think we were all very proud of, and so I would say the reception has been uh, what you expect and, and very, very positive, uh, and so we look forward to continuing those kind of conversations, hearing our student-athletes' ideas uh, on how to use our platform, and, uh, you know, the beauty of intercollegiate athletics is we, we are around such diverse groups. And if you're an athlete, you've been around diverse groups probably your entire life. Uh, and so how do we how do we take our feelings? And we all know where our hearts are. We know where we stand on this issue. Uh, but how do we use our platform and how do we use our voice to bring awareness to it? That That's the next step for us. Well, 2020 has been a, a year like no other. And the, the pandemic, obviously, and, and all the uh Social uh, awareness, uh, are, are, you know, there's there's some good things that, that have come out of this. But uh, you started a, 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 it's a face mask for fall sports campaign, and uh, saw you wearing your your mask there, Chase. And we know Texas has been a, a hot spot recently for the coronavirus. Are, are things improving at all the, the past couple of weeks? You know, we're, we're really. Um... You know, we're really in the thick of uh, of being the hot spot. Uh, they, they, you know, the things are starting to improve slowly, but as you well know, it it takes time. You know, once you put in uh, strong measures, it, it takes several weeks for for that work of the community to pay off. Uh, and so we're hopeful that you know July is behind us, and um, you know the numbers, the the positive cases. Uh, you know, we're hoping to see those things improve over the next few weeks. And it's going to be really important for us. It's going to be important for us to uh, potentially get back on the field or on the court. It'll be important for us to start training. Um, but, but I can tell you something that we are we are so uh, blessed and so fortunate here at UTRGV is to have a school of medicine and, and UT Health RGV uh, underneath our university umbrella. Uh, and so we have leaned heavily uh, on the school of medicine, uh, our team physicians, uh, the testing of our coaches and staff, uh, the testing of our student athletes, uh, really just the coordination of care and being able to lean on the medical professionals that uh, that work within the university system has been huge uh, for us to this point. And I, and I know it's going to help us uh, tremendously moving forward uh, you know, this semester and, and, and this, in the spring as well. Um, but we're hopeful. Uh, we're, we're hopeful just like everybody in the rest of the country uh, is hopeful that we start seeing this uh, this thing turn around. Uh, it's been a uh, it's been a challenging four or five months. There's silver lining in everything. Um, and I do truly feel like our department will come out stronger, will come out better. Uh, but it's uh, it's a challenge. And, and I tell our student athletes this you know, when I meet with them, that this isn't the, the Division One experience that they signed up for. You know, this isn't how they they saw their college career going. Uh, but uh, th this will teach all of us a, a great deal of resiliency, perseverance. Uh, we're we're going to have to be gritty, uh, mindful, the gritty in our approach this year and uh, and truly come together. And, and when the time's right and, and we know that we can do it in a healthy and safe way, and we get back on the court, on the field, uh, you know, we'll have a passion, a passion maybe that we didn't have before. Because uh, sometimes you don't know what you have until it's until you until it's gone or until you miss it. And and I can tell you, our young people are ready to get back. They're ready to get back here, uh, train and practice and compete. And and obviously that's the ultimate goal for everybody across the country is to be able to do it, do it safely, uh, and hopefully get back to some normalcy uh, here in the near future. What is the fall looking like at UTRGV? I know things are changing every single day. So the conversation we may be having today will change tomorrow. But as of right now, for this fall. 
Yeah, that's a great point you bring up. You know, you, you've got uh, you know plans on top of plans on top of plans, and um, and we feel like we've got a really solid, a really good uh, plan for our return of our student athletes and our students. Uh, but but one thing that we've all learned through this is, is that uh, it's a fluid situation, and part of your plan has to be uh, that you have to have the ability to pivot. And so we've had to pivot uh, a couple times as a department uh, on the return of our student athletes. Uh, but but campus is is doing just extremely well. Uh, our leadership with President Bailey is I would put it up against anybody in the country. Uh, what we're what we're seeing with our students, the interest in our university. Uh, obviously, summer classes were all online. Uh, we will transition back. Uh, uh, we'll have uh, four, five, six different type of, of course offerings uh, this fall. Uh, roughly, you know, 70 plus percent of our classes will likely be taught online. Uh, we've taken uh, large sections, uh, let's say 50 or more. Uh, th those classes that have um, you know, typically had larger enrollments, uh, those have been moved online. Uh, obviously, all the, the, the guidelines and protocols, the, the social distancing, all of that will be adhered to on campus. Uh, we were one of the first, um, you know, as far as you look at the state of Texas, our institution uh, put a mandate for masks uh, a couple of months ago. And so that'll be a big part of um, of our return to campus. And uh, and we'll slowly start seeing some things happen over the next couple of weeks and our campus uh, you know, coming back to life. Uh, we never officially closed. And so the student services and the things that we've been able to offer uh, to all of our students has really been impressive. Uh, but but I think you'll see UTRGV respond uh, like we already have, uh, and I think you'll see the the interest in our university, uh, our enrollment, uh, those things. The indicators are very very strong, and so uh, very proud of the work that Dr. Bailey and our senior team ha has put together over the last few months. And again, I, I can't emphasize it enough. I, I truly think our university, um, you know, will come out of this more united and stronger, uh, and be in a great position uh, as we go into the fall and spring semesters. Talking with Chase Conk at UTRGV, and uh, Rachel and I have been talking about this. Uh, I think this is our 17th podcast, Chase, that we can't wait for sports to get back, and that we just don't know when exactly that's going to happen. But hopefully when that does uh, happen sooner rather than later, you've planned some home men's and women's basketball games at Burt Ogden Arena uh, there in Edinburgh, which is the home of the, the Rio Grande uh, Vipers uh, of the uh, G League. What, what's the idea behind having some games there? You know, it's a uh, it's a phenomenal facility that's, you know, about three miles from our campus. Uh, the facility is only a couple of years old and, and our men's team played uh, Oklahoma there uh, two right. years ago, had, had a tremendous crowd. Uh, to be able to attract an opponent like Oklahoma, obviously Coach Hill's uh, relationship, um, you know, there with the staff and with OU, uh, you know, helps you bring games to the Valley, but also the facility. Uh, having uh, having a professional facility like Bird Ogden Arena is just one more selling point and really a great way to uh, display and um, and show off uh, the Rio Grande Valley. And so, uh, been a great partnership, and and we we approached them uh, several months ago about. Um, you know, engaging in, in not just a you know one or two games, but really a long-term partnership. And uh, that Bert Ogden has been been wonderful to work with. And it's just a top-notch facility that's going to showcase our program. Uh, we've got two men's games and, and one women's game scheduled right now uh, for the facility. And i tell you something else that we've uh, – We've put into place is our, our first women's basketball tournament that we'll play on South Padre Island uh, mm. this coming this coming December, and that's another another great great way to showcase the Rio Grande Valley. We're, we're only about an hour uh, from the island. 
Uh, we have a lot of uh, students and, and supporters and uh, really the campus community. That's that's one of the uh, many assets to the Rio Grande Valley is the access you have uh, to the Gulf Coast uh, over there at South Padre Island. Uh, they've got a great facility there at the convention center, uh, seats uh, about 2,000 uh, folks. And so we'll bring our women's basketball team uh, in a four-team classic uh, that we'll host there this December. And we hope to make that an annual uh, annual classic, not just for our women, uh, but there are some things in the works on the men's side uh, really to, you know, we talk about rallying the Valley. And in order to do that, um, you know, you've got to bring the Valley's team into the communities in which we serve. And so whether that's the island, whether that's Cameron County, uh, which is where South Padre Island is, also our Brownsville campus is located in Cameron County, uh, Harlingen, Wessipo, McAllen, Edinburgh, Mission, uh, for us to really be the Valley's team and for us to truly rally the Valley, uh, it's very important that we have a presence. You know, we're out there asking for folks to support us, uh, but that means nothing more uh, to them when, when we can show up and we can be there in their communities, uh, play in front of a crowd uh, that, that's built in those communities and those counties. Uh, that's how we're going to that's how we're truly going to rally the valley. And so we're excited about both Ogden Arena uh, as well as the Padre Classic. And I think both of those uh, partnerships are going to be long term partnerships uh, for many years to come. Eric, I will volunteer myself to go down there and cover that <laughs> uh, down in South Padre. We might have to check the budget on that, Rach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is definitely the point there is, uh, is truly be able to showcase the, 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 the wonderful things that we have here in the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, a December day in uh, South Padre versus maybe one at the league office in Denver. I, I think you're, you're making the right choice, Rachel. I think Padre <laughs> is the big Exactly. <laughs> and Chase, I know one of the positives that's really come out of this lockdown has been story time. And this past week, it was your turn and you read the book, Everybody's Welcome, and you had your three daughters with you, too. And as a dad, what is that experience like? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been wonderful to have them on this uh, on this journey. I've got uh, three, three beautiful little women and uh, my wife, Lisa is such a, a tremendous partner, uh, a wonderful spouse. She, she loves this, this industry. She loves uh, college athletics and our student athletes. And, and really to be able uh, to raise my daughters in a, in a household that I, that I was raised in. My, my father was a, a college football coach, a head college football coach for 18 years. And uh, college athletics is, is all I know. And so to be able to have my family on this journey, uh, I just um, am about to celebrate my, my one year anniversary here at the university. And so to have them a part of this uh, has really been special. And, and to have uh, have the extra time with them. You, know, you talk about trying to find the positives and the silver lining uh, with the uh, with the lockdown. Um, I've been around more the last three months than, than I have in years. And so being able to spend that quality time with them, um, which, you know, you can't go anywhere. Right. So you're, you're doing it at your home and. Um, you know, you're working on some projects that you probably put off or you've got your honeydew list that you got to get to. But at the same time, there's there's nothing better than getting to spend time with our family. And um, again, we we've enjoyed it. We, we hope it comes to uh, we hope it comes to an end uh, soon and we can get back to some normalcy. But at the same time, I think it's really given everybody great perspective at you know, what what's truly important in life. And it comes down to people and relationships, whether it's with your own family, uh, with, with with your your staff, your student athletes, your campus community, everybody's hungry just to be back with one another. Uh, but I can tell you, we, we we definitely have enjoyed pieces and parts uh, of the last several months, and uh, I'm 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 very blessed uh, to have them on this journey, and uh, they've really enjoyed the valley, which has made it nice. 
Well, Chase, we follow you on Twitter and saw that you recently had a birthday that you got to celebrate with your family. So happy birthday, and how did you celebrate? I appreciate it. Uh, we, we actually were able to sneak away up to the, uh, the Hill Country, uh, which uh, about a four-hour drive from here, and I uh, had a quiet uh, weekend at a, at a cabin up there and uh, just enjoyed uh, hanging out with them. We, we canoed the, the Guadalupe, which was my first time on the, uh, on the Guadalupe River, uh, but we really had a nice weekend. And um, I tell you something neat is uh, a year ago on August 1st uh, is when President Bailey offered the position uh, here at UTRGV. So it was really a, a great weekend to reflect and count our blessings uh, and certainly spend time uh, as a family and, uh, and, and really get excited about what's ahead for us. Uh, my family joined me here in, in October. And so as you look at how many months they had here in the community, it, it really owns about four, four and a half months that my kids had, uh, you know, in school face to face with classmates and, and building relationships. And so we're all anxious for things to get back uh, to somewhat normal, uh, to be able to continue to engage with the community, because uh, we truly feel like the, the best is yet to come for UTRGV and our athletics department. Well, Chase, uh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, a lot going on there in Edinburgh and, and glad to hear that things are doing well after the hurricane hit and, and you have a lot of uh, good momentum going forward. And hopefully we can see you uh, sooner rather than later as uh, hopefully uh, fall sports uh, will be starting up. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, always good to talk to you both. And uh, thank you for what you do for, for our league. It's, uh, it's an interesting time. Uh, it does make us focus on uh, you know, different stories and, and, and different news than maybe uh, what we normally cover. But I also think it's a great opportunity to showcase uh, all nine of our great institutions and, and the wonderful people that we have that make up the WAC. So I appreciate y'all's work and it's wonderful to visit with you today. All right, that is Chase Conk, UTRGV Vice President and Director of Athletics. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Stephanie Verdoya, former Seattle U soccer player, two-time WAC Player of the Year. Find out what she is up to as we uh, recently announced that she is the leading scorer of the decade. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Derek Danner and Rachel V. Hill. We're now joined by Stephanie Verdoya, a two-time WAC Player of the Year and uh, former Seattle U Redhawk. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Eric and Rachel. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And in particular, we started up, uh, we've been kind of trying to come up with ideas to keep things fresh during the pandemic here when we haven't really had a, a lot of competition going on. And we just uh, ended the decade uh, in, in the fall sports, so 2010 through 2019. And uh, when we added up uh, all these different uh, categories, Stephanie, you're at the top, uh, most goals, most assists, most points, uh, quite a career you had in the WAC. Did you realize that you're the uh, leader of the decade in those categories? I actually did not. <laughs> that, um, that was definitely a surprise to me. Um, I know, you know, we had some great years while I was there, um, but it's a strong league. Lots of good players come out of it. So, and decade sounds like a very long time. <laughs> so, I don't know. Is there one goal or assist that really like stands out in your mind when you think back on those times? Um, well, I mean, probably the easiest one is when we played an NCAA tournament my senior year um, and we we lost in the sweet 16 but or the round of 32 to, to Washington State uh, University and I scored the first goal and then we were a huge underdog it was a freezing night temperatures were super low the field was frozen it was kind of one of those 
dramatic sports moments you always hope you'll get. Um, so, I mean, and, and, and we ended up winning. So that, that one's pretty easy to remember. But in terms of in-conference play, um, our games against Utah Valley were always super intense. So I have some highlight ones in my mind with them. Um, but I would say after <laughs> all of those answers, my cliche answer is when I found out I broke the record, I think at Seattle U for scoring, they didn't tell me beforehand. So during the game, they're announcing it after I had just scored. And I was like, how do I act normal right now? I'm like hearing this <laughs> happening and I didn't know. Um, so all of those kind of represent some pretty fun moments for me. Now, Stephanie, you were the WAC player of the year 2013 and 2014. And then you went on to be drafted in the NWSL uh, by the Boston Breakers in 2015. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was, it was a pretty big whirlwind, I would say. Um, I know it was only five years ago at this point, but the league's grown so much since then, you know, the, the drafts really, there's a lot more attention around it. I, th I think there's an ability to be prepared for it a little bit more. But when I was going in, you know, we're, we're a smaller conference. We don't always, in my opinion, maybe get the attention we deserve. And, and I was basically told if you're going to be drafted, you'll know beforehand. Um, and I did not know beforehand. And my coach Julie and I were there for the all American celebration. Um, and so I was in Philadelphia um, and my coach was like, we have to go to the draft. And I was like, this will be so fun. I'll get to sit and watch other people get drafted <laughs> and I'll wait. And you know, it'll be a huge bummer. Um, and so the first round goes and kind of the classic names, Megan Oyster, Sam Lewis, they were all in my class. Um, and then I, and then I got called <laughs> fourth round, but I, it was a shocking and, and very rewarding experience. Um, I wouldn't have been there if my coach Julie hadn't made me because I didn't really believe in myself at that point enough to think that I would probably be drafted at that stage and I wasn't prepared um but it ended up being a great experience I moved to Boston about a month and a half later I had to graduate early um I went to Spain with the, the U23 national team right before then so it kind of you know initiated a domino effect of a lot of quick things that forced me to grow up I would say pretty quick <laughs> My first question is, did Julie know you were going to get drafted or did she just, was it going to be like a growing experience for you as a person? No, she didn't know. Uh, she definitely didn't know. Um, I think she just thought this will be great regardless. And I was like, yeah, it's easy for you to say. You're like sitting in the back, you know, <laughs> I have to sit there and like watch this camera on my face as like other names are called. Um, but I, I met some great friends along the way there. Actually, Sam Lofton was a player that, that was drafted in the fourth round with me to Boston, and we were both from smaller schools. And that was just great to see the league growing in a way that, you know, we, we know that the Morgan Bryans, the Sam Uses are going to go early and quick, and they're incredible players, and that they kind of expected that next step. And then you get to see these players with, with maybe less of a chance um, be given this, this awesome stage to, to continue their career. Um, and that's still happening. So that's great. My second question for you then is just, do you feel like your time at Seattle, you kind of prepared you to move on to that next step? Um, as a person, yes. As a player, um, yes. But I don't know if you can be prepared always for that. I mean, truly, it was all of a sudden I'm, I'm in camp with national team players. <laughs> and it's just... I don't know if there's an, a, a way to prepare for that environment except being in that environment. Um, but as a person, I, I spent I spent a couple of years there really adapting and growing and learning who I am on and off the field. And so, and kind of like the wholesome, you know, looking back on it, 
I can't imagine going anywhere else and, and being confident um, when I arrived in Boston. And I was because of Seattle U. We're talking with Stephanie Verdoya, the top goal scorer in the WAC over the past decade, had 47 goals in her career at Seattle U. And after a couple of years in the NWSL there, Stephanie, you went overseas to play at in Norway. What was that experience playing like professionally overseas versus the NWSL? It was pretty different um, in great ways. Uh, you know, I, I got there in like the, the dead of winter for Norway, which means very, very dark and cold. Um, and at that point, there weren't too many international players. A few came later on, but um, it's not many people that spoke English constantly around me. Everyone, for the most part, everyone there speaks English, so it ended up being an easier transition. But um, it was a little isolating. It wasn't the same as having friends and family show up for games. It wasn't the same as knowing who you're playing against and having that kind of exhilaration. I mean, Carly Lloyd was like the first person I played against in my when I debuted and. The U.S. So there's aspects of the game that are so exciting when you're part of the, in my mind, like the U.S. system because I've watched these players, I respect these players. There's so much something fun about it, and and everything was pretty foreign in in Norway. But it also provided me an awesome ability to travel, to meet new people, to um, to do kind of some final last last steps before I kind of knew my career was um, not going to last too much longer, um, just because I wanted to go to law school. So. And so you are in law school now. What exactly yeah. are you studying? Um, so we don't always specialize that, that much in, in law, but right now I'm headed towards kind of a public interest um, side of things. And I'm currently working for a firm that does kind of focuses on systemic abuses and, and has actually done cases with the NCAA in the past, focusing on concussion protocols for athletes and um, just protecting people in general. And that's kind of what I want to do. How far away are you from graduating from law school? One year. Uh, so in June is when I should be done. Um, I'm sure it'll, it'll take a while, I feel like, to get there. It's, law school is pretty hard. <laughs> and that's but I'm the, enjoying it. Sorry, that, that's at the University of Washington? Yes, University of Washington. So how, how was that? Uh, I mean, that's a you know, kind of a rival of, of Seattle U that uh, you had to cross the uh, street there to get to uh, Washington. Yes, I was reminded a couple times by Julie that she's not going to hold it against me. <laughs> and I was very grateful for that. Um, you know, I, I, I considered Seattle U, it obviously was a great experience for undergrad. Um, but, but going to law school and coming back to Seattle after living in, on the East Coast and then abroad, I, I just felt a little bit like I needed a new experience. Um, and UW's a, a pretty fantastic school and uh, I got in. And so I was like, that's good enough for me. I'm going to go there. <laughs> Plus that whole area is just beautiful in general. Like oh. I am so jealous. <laughs> it's, it's pretty gorgeous, <laughs> especially right now. This time of year is when you want to be here. Absolutely. Now, obviously, there's a huge difference in pay between men and women in sports throughout, I think, all the leagues, right? Uh, I think basketball, soccer, and even broadcasting, there are like very different uh, pay grades throughout there. And you wrote an interesting article for Crosscut just about the pay disparity in women and men's soccer. So would you think that a lot of people would be very surprised by the difference in pay? Yes. I actually do. I think at this point now, especially because of the women's um, national team lawsuit, people know it's not equal, but they don't really know what not equal means um, for the most part. And because I, the most common reaction after I wrote that article was, wait, you made 12,000? 
you can't live on that. I'm like, Oh, I know. <laughs> Believe me. I was, I was a recipient. I know. Um, so yeah, but I will say that the league is growing. It's making strides. Um, I, I don't know if either of you have seen recently, but angel city is kind of this new club coming to the, to the league and it's, it's female owned, it's co-owned by former players. And so it's definitely on the uptick in my opinion, you know, the base salary now in the, in the NWSL is around 16,000. And at my time it was 10. So it's growing, but the disparity is still wild. Um, so yeah, I hope people know because I think that would motivate them to at least maybe pay attention a little bit more. Stephanie, what needs to happen to, to get a livable wage? I mean, $12,000 or $16,000. I mean, you have to have another job to be able to supplement that and be one of the top professional athletes in the world to be able to compete at that level. Yeah, I think it's just a general, to be honest, I mean, one of the most positive things that has happened in being involved in professional female soccer is Angel City. This this really recent announcement of this this female owned um, and, and numerous you know player owned organization um, because the structure of professional sports, whether it's women's soccer or the NFL, I mean, it's a it's still a kind of you know a, a money making scheme and it's owned by certain people and they're trying to create a profit and it's an, an entertainment and so for a league like the NWSL to grow and to be trusted and to have better pay for, for all the athletes, uh, communities need to be involved. People, it needs to be easy to watch the games. The games need to be on ESPN. The games need to be easy to watch because people will love it. We've seen that with the world cup, with the women's national team. Um, but right now you have to pay, right? You have to pay for maybe like a, a CBS all access pass for a couple of days of the challenge cup. And, and, I just think it needs to be easier for people to to watch it and enjoy it and to buy into it um, because people, when people do, they love it. So that's what I would say. How much do you think it means for the whole women's soccer programs just overall to have a voice like Megan Rapino really go out there and fight and be the aggressive human being she is, but everything she says makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, she's, she is a fantastic human. I, um, I played for a little while with the Seattle Reign when I came back before I went to law school. And she's just, she, it's not a show. It's not a facade. She is who she is and is and represents those kinds of values and principles in everyday life. Um, and as players in the league that don't have that type of, um, that type of power, right? I think it's, it's very clear there's some, there's some strong voices. Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, Becky Sauerbrunn. There's people that were, you're kind of trusting to hold that mantle for you. Um, whereas when I was making $12,000, I was like, please just don't cut me, right? Like, I'm so happy to be here. I'm loving it. Like, let me prove myself. So I'm not going to go out there and, and maybe start pushing for a little bit more. Um, and they're doing that. They're doing that kind of for the generations, for the young girls, for all the other players um, in the league. It's not just about them. Did you know that before you signed, really, that the pay was so low? Or do you think that you would have continued on if you would have known that maybe if you were in high school and been like, oh, you could only make $12,000 a year? I think I would have. I think, and that's, that's the kind of the nature of it, right? Professional sports, people just want to play it. Mm -hmm. It's a huge privilege to be able to make it to that level. I was like, I mean, you know, what, there's 10, there's 20 players for the most part, 20 to 25 now paid on each team. You're talking about 250 female athletes that get to play professionally for money. So I think I would have done it for even less, right? I mean, that's, but that's the problem because athletes go and it's easy to take advantage for the most part. It's easy to take advantage of, of collegiate athletes and in any sport because people want to play. Um, 
So yeah, I would have done it anyways. I would have done it for $5. <laughs> and I think you're the only WAC player, at least recently, that's played the NWSL. Is that right? Uh, I believe so. I, I, I actually... I'm not positive on that, so I don't want to say for sure. <laughs> well, I, I guess when you go back, I mean, when Hawaii was in the league, Natasha Kai played in the WAX. I mean, so there's been yeah. some some maybe players over the years, but maybe in the current form, uh, right. not a whole lot. I, I don't think we've had players uh, drafted recently. I know in men's soccer, some MLS uh, Seattle, you guys have have gone onto the MLS, but uh, yeah. yeah, that that uh, when when we saw that article, or Rachel and I, we couldn't believe the the how much players are being paid in the MWSL. Now overseas, when you went to go play in Norway, is is it better there? Not much, actually. Um, the, uh, the U.S. is pretty on scale with most, with most under other leagues. Um, you have some really well-funded clubs like Manchester City in England and, and Lyon in France and, and some places that really make it a priority to, to develop their, their female side as well. Um, but it... Yeah, it, it was it was about the same, but there's a lot of structural support in Norway, to be honest. I mean, you know, uh, taxes there are, you you get a refund, there's free healthcare, there's, there's a lot of things that to be made it off the field a little bit easier. What else did you do for work to be able to just afford living? Lots of coaching, lots and lots of coaching, which I love anyways, um, and it kind of helped me find a, a second passion that gets to keep me connected to the game, um, so that's what I mostly did. And what are you doing now for coaching? Oh, sorry, Eric. That's all right. Um, I, I, I'm a head coach for the, the Rain Academy here. So now we're OL Rain, but um, the, the OL Rain Academy, the 017. So, so 14 and 13-year-old girls. And you've been coaching for how long? Um, so I started my first year in Boston. Um, and this is going to date me. So five years. <laughs> and, and, and is, oh, I'm sorry, Rachel. I was just going to say, do, do you continue? Or do you anticipate maybe being a collegiate coach, professional coach at some point? I would, I would love to. I mean, I love, I love being involved in the environment and understanding and appreciating the tactical side of the game and the mental side of the game and being able to, to be the person that drives that development is something that I didn't expect to like. Um, and I love it. The hard part about, about the collegiate game is obviously the, the travel um, and some aspects of it, but I definitely wouldn't foreclose it. Um, I went to law school because I, I want to have a degree that allows me to kind of pick and choose the, these areas that I can get into. Um, and I, I love the firm that I'm at right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if later on in the future, if I continue coaching, I, I merge my two professions a little bit, maybe to be an athletic director or, you know, a coach or, or involved in some way. I would, I would love that. I was kind of like leading into my next question of would you ever use your law degree to really push the stopping the pay gap between men and women? Yeah, I, I definitely would. Um, I think there's some really unique aspects of law and some really frustrating aspects in this area, particularly, um, you know, now that the NWSL has its player association, which um, is actually led by one of my old friends, Brooke LB from, from Boston. Uh, th there's some, there's stronger structures in place for the players, um, but it's not a formal union necessarily that, that can like, you know, adv advocate for certain um, formal and, and permanent changes. And, and, and litigation as the U.S. Women's National Team is going through is always also an option. And there's just, there's just some ways for people to make people pay attention. Um, that being said, I, th I think there's a lot of people solving this problem necessarily always without going through legal means. Um, but 
I do appreciate everything my legal degree has given me in terms of like learning how to solve those problems in different ways, whether that's legal or not, or um, how to how to create different solutions. Getting back to your coaching, do you ever uh, talk to Coach Woodward or how much of your style is is like hers? Do you see her as as a role model for your coaching? I do, yeah. Um, especially, I think players will probably attest to this at any level. It's amazing the little things you pick up that your coaches just did for so long that now you instinctively, you know, reiterate to your players. Um, and I would say I'm kind of a mix of Julie and Rich, um, who was the associate head coach while I was there. Um, and, and Julie very much is focused on, on the player. She wants to know how you feel, why you did the thing that you did, how you're doing off the field. Is there a way that we can create a better lifestyle for you that impacts you on the field? And that type of very individual personal growth awareness in my mind is crucial um, for players to to become their best player and self and then rich is very technical and tactical and so he was the one in the off seasons that was like listen you're going to score five goals this next season if you do this a little bit better and there, there's not really anything to compare to that type of of really tailored coaching and so i try to do both <laughs> i don't know if i'm succeeding at it but i try to do both 13 and 14 year olds though can be difficult at times, you know, just <laughs> teenagers. So how do you really handle the personalities that come with that? Uh, I, I will say if any of my girls are listening that I am truly blessed with some, with some great 13 and 14, 14 year olds. They are, I'm always actually amazed at what they're willing to, to take on at that age. I think we don't often give them enough credit in terms of what they can learn and implement. Um, personality wise, the one thing I want to make sure that they take away from any experience with me though is just that they they have to commit themselves in some ways whether that's to being okay when they fail which is i think the number one thing sports can teach you um to to learning how to teach your or treat your teammates well i mean there, there's a couple of things that sports just have to teach you um and those are sometimes harder that's 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 like the the rascally part you know with teenagers is we lose a game and I'm like, I promise this one is not worth crying for like six hours and telling yourself you're a bad player. You know, it's not worth it to yell at your teammate. These, these will pass and you have to try and see that, but you're 13. You don't see that, you know? So that's my struggle. <laughs> I have to ask you, we're, we're here on the zoom call for those listening. Yeah. It looks like you have some albums, some vinyl behind you. Yeah, I can't take too much credit for that. So don't ask me too many questions. Um, <laughs> my long-term partner, uh, who I actually met at Seattle U, he was, he was the goalkeeper for the men's team. Um, he's a big musician. So a lot of them, those are his. Well, Seattle known for the, for the music scene. What are you, Pearl Jam fan? What, 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 what are you yes. listening to there? Um, is Pearl Jam there? I, I think so. No, maybe. <laughs> um, there's a lot of actually... Well, there's a lot of good bands that come through Seattle. Not too many local ones back there, probably. But it's a little folksy, kind of some indie, some indie rock in there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Honestly, it's been so nice being able to sit and chat with you again, Stephanie. Uh, you talked at the Women's Banquet last year now, I believe. I think it was last October, last November. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like forever ago, but you did a phenomenal job back then, and I, you're obviously a phenomenal speaker here, so we really appreciate having you. Oh, thank you. It's so good to stay connected. I really, the WAC was an incredible organization for me and, and lots of support. So anytime, any, anything that you need, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Last thing for me, Stephanie, I wanted to ask you about how the Red Hawks are uh, going to be looking this year. I think 
we're, we're a very consistent program. So kind of, I always check in with Rich normally at some point in the year. I'm like, what's this next class looking like? How many, what are the, you know? Um, and I, I think they're going to be strong. I think they always are. Um, so that's a, that's an easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephanie, thank you again for taking some time out. Also want to thank our other guests today. We had Chase Conk from UTRGV and we want to thank you for listening to the WAC podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACsports.com.